Thanks for joining us online today at Genesis. My name is Jerry, and I'm one of the pastors here. We're always glad to have you tuning in with us. Well, a few weeks ago, some really sweet friends of our family got us a special gift. They bought us a homemade ice cream maker. And I don't know if any of you made ice cream back in the day with an old school maker with the salt and the ice, and it's all good, but man, it can't compare to the Cuisinart ice cream maker. This thing is so simple. All you have to be able to do is read directions and measure ingredients. And in under 30 minutes, you can have whatever flavor of ice cream you can dream up. Dream up. It is so simple. And here's the really good news. If you have some Kohl's cash and a 15% off coupon for the low, low price of just $35, you too can own a Cuisinart ice cream maker. Now you're probably wondering, what is going on? Is this like an info motion right now? Well, not exactly, but I do want you to think about what could happen if all of us ran out and bought the Cuisinart ice cream maker, but instead of making ice cream for ourselves, we actually started giving away homemade ice cream for free. I mean, can you imagine how people would respond to us? Imagine all the friends that you would make. And I realize that ice cream doesn't agree with everyone, but have you, do you know anybody that doesn't like a free scoop of ice cream? Now, this might be exactly what 2020 needs. It's been quite a year, hasn't it? And I'm not going to stop you from changing the world one scoop of homemade ice cream at a time. But for the next few weeks, we are going to talk about something very important and very powerful that Jesus wants and expects all of his followers to learn how to make. And well, it's not ice cream, okay? But here's what's interesting. It's not just something Jesus wants us to make. It's actually something that Jesus wants us to learn how to become so that we can usher in his kingdom of peace in this chaotic world that we're living in right now. So if you have a Bible, I wanna invite you to turn right now to Matthew chapter five. Turn to Matthew five. Now for the last several weeks, we've been in a series where we've been looking at teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. And Matthew five is actually at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, but for the next four weeks, we're gonna look at one verse out of the Sermon on the Mount. And, and it, it's this verse where Jesus tells us, I want you to, to make this thing and I want you to become this thing. It's, it's a really big thing, okay? So I want you to listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9. And I want you to think about this when you hear this. It was relevant 2,000 years ago. And in the world that we're living in right now, I think we could all agree, we all need a little bit of this. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, before we go any further, I want you to stop and think about all the craziness we have experienced in the year 2020. There's been a global pandemic. There are extreme racial conflicts and injustice. There have been violent riots and peaceful protests. Entire cities have been under siege and burned. And then you add in things like a turbulent economy. Natural disasters like uncontrolled wildfires out west and, out west and, and murder hornets. And oh yeah, let's not forget, it's an election year, so let's just throw national politics into the mix as well. And I'm gonna guess if you and I, if we were to sit down and list out a bunch of words to describe 2020, well, peace and peaceful probably are not gonna make that cut. And I, I just want you to think for a moment, how many times over the last several months or, or over the last year, have you found yourself hoping and praying for peace for you and for your family, for our country and for the rest of the world? That's a good thing to pray for. But if you're like me, have you just stopped lately and thought, you know, I don't, I don't even know, is peace still a thing? Is peace even possible? Well, according to Jesus, 
It is. And if you look at his words in Matthew 5, 9, which we're gonna jump into for the next four weeks, not only is peace possible, but Jesus wants and expects his followers to learn how to make and to bring peace with us everywhere we go, no matter how weird or hard or stressed or strained or chaotic this world might get. So let's take a moment and pray and ask for the Holy Spirit's help to open up God's word to us today, uh, to teach us, to convict us, but then also to guide us in living out lives as peacemakers. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I, I pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our, our hearts up to this teaching of Jesus. We live in a world where peace just does not even seem existent. But Jesus, you say, this is something that I want my followers to be known for making and, and known for being. And so Holy Spirit, would you guide us? Would you teach us? Would you show us? And when, we, when we're done today, when we go out into the world, most importantly, would you help us to learn how to apply this and to lean in, do, to do the hard work of becoming peacemakers? We love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. So this brings up a question. Well, what exactly is a peacemaker and, and how can we learn to become one? Now, the Old Testament foretold of a coming Messiah who would usher in a kingdom of everlasting in absolute peace. The, the Hebrew word for peace that's used throughout the Old Testament is the word shalom. And the word shalom means total and complete well-being, body, heart, mind, and soul for the individual and for the, for the group, as, as, for the community as a whole. But another way to think of shalom is simply this, life the way God intended life to be. And scripture teaches us that the current state of the world right now and all its chaos and dysfunction this is not part of God's original plan. This is not what shalom looks like because God's shalom was shattered when the sin of mankind entered into his perfect creation. But thankfully, scripture reminds us that there's gonna be a day and, and hopefully soon when Jesus returns to the earth in bodily form. And when he does, he is going to usher in God's eternal kingdom of peace. He's gonna make everything right back the way it should be. The apostle John writes about this in the book of Revelation. He says, when Jesus returns, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. Now, I want you to think of what a world like that could look like. Can you imagine a world without death? I mean, that would take all of our stress levels down just a little bit. And, and think about the things uh, that, that we mourn over today. Injustice, prejudice, racism, murder, the killing of unborn babies, children growing up without parents, divorce, homelessness, drug and alcohol abuse, or maybe just the potential of Tom Brady winning another Super Bowl, right? Like we all mourn and grieve over these types of things, but can you imagine a world where that kind of stress and strain doesn't exist anymore? That is shalom. And that's the kind of world God intends for us to live in and experience. And Jesus is gonna return to make that a reality one day. But here's the thing, in the meantime, Jesus is calling his followers to make and bring that kind of peace with us everywhere we go. And so when we talk about a peacemaker, I wanna define this for you right now. This is what we're talking about over the next couple of weeks. A peacemaker is simply someone who makes and brings God's idea of perfect peace with them wherever they go, with whoever they come in contact with. 
Now, in order for this idea to sink in just a little bit more, I want to look at Matthew 5, 9 from, from a few different angles. I want to share a couple different translations of scripture to help us think about what this means. So the New International Version says this, blessed are the peacemakers. The New Living Translation says, God blesses those who work for peace. And the Passion Translation says, how blessed are you when you make peace? Now, all of them talk about a blessing and we'll talk about that in a minute. But they all, if you notice, also they imply that, that being a peacemaker requires work. It, it requires effort. And so where do we begin on this journey of, of learning to become a peacemaker? How do we begin to make peace? Well, I want you to think of it like this. Where would you need to go to make peace? You wouldn't need to go somewhere where peace already exists because it's already there, which means in order to be a peacemaker, we have to go where peace is in short supply. And so the first step in learning how to become a peacemaker is simply this. You have to go looking for trouble. You got to go looking for trouble. Now, when I say you got to go looking for trouble, don't go start trouble. But we need to open our eyes and look around and say, where is peace lacking? Okay, there it is. That's where I need to go to work. And if we've learned anything from this year, 2020, it's that we don't have to look far to find places where peace is in short supply or is, it, or is it non-existent? And some of us don't have to look any further than our living room or our bedroom. We need peace with the people that live under our very own roof. But others of us might think of the classroom or the neighborhood or the office because we have some friends or some coworkers that have, they've double-crossed us. They stabbed us in the back. Or maybe you have a wacko neighbor whose political views don't line up with yours. Or maybe you have a careless coworker who just, ooh, irritates the fire out of you, right? We've all been there before. But I want to challenge you to take a step back and think outside of your particular sphere of influence and broaden your view a little bit. I want you to think about where in your school, where in your neighborhood, where in our city, where around the country or around the world do we see a lack of peace? I want you to think about the pain of racial hurt and injustice that our country is enduring right now. It's, it's awful. It's terrible. And something needs to be done about it. I want you to think about the political hatred that's constantly spewing on everyone in every direction. It's terrible. I want you to think about the constant turbulence that single parents and their children face on a daily basis. Or how about the unpredictable chaos and disruption that foster families are forced to navigate for the sake of at-risk children? We don't have to look far to find places where peace is in short supply. And this is why Jesus expects and calls his followers to be peacemakers because peace is something that has to be worked for and it has to be made in spite of some seriously challenging situations. So peacemakers identify areas of conflict around them and get this, then they run to the front lines where the chaos and the struggle and the fighting are most fierce. And the reason you go to the front lines isn't to be a part of the fight, but it's to bring peace where there's total disarray. Now, running towards chaos seems counterintuitive when we're talking about peace, but I want you to pay attention to this. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. And there's a big difference between being a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. A peacekeeper avoids conflict by attempting to keep everyone else happy while a peacemaker engages in conflict tactfully to make peace a reality for everyone else. Now you can see the difference between those two, right? Peacekeepers enjoy the illusion of peace by avoiding tension and disagreement at all costs, while peacemakers are unsettled by a lack of peace. 
And they address conflict in order to make real peace a reality for everyone around them. So we have peacekeepers over here that avoid peace. But there's also another category of people that I want us to think about. What about way over here, there's troublemakers. And if peacekeepers avoid conflict, well, troublemakers, they're the exact opposite. They enjoy looking for conflict for the simple fact that they like a good fight and they like a place to take out their rage and their hatred on other people. And their goal is not to bring peace. It's just to win at all costs. And these are the people that demand that their voice has to be heard. They will take anyone that disagrees with them to task in order to win the fight. And they think they're being bold, but here's the problem. What appears to be boldness to them, well, unfortunately, it just becomes toxic to everyone else that they come in contact with. And then it mutates into an all-out hatred and disgust against anyone who is different than them or doesn't see things their way. And so what seems like peacemaking to a troublemaker is really seen like warmongering to everyone else. And here's the big problem. And this is where we have to listen in. The worst thing imaginable is when a follower of Jesus becomes a troublemaker. And I don't know if you've checked social media lately, but there's a lot of us out there and it's not a pretty sight. My, um, uh, Carrie Newhoff sums it up this way. He says, here's the problem with troublemakers. When Christians lose their mind, other people lose their faith. Do you know anybody like that? Have you been in part of those situations? Someone that follows Jesus is just, you're just, oh, please stop talking right now. You're not helping. And here's the thing, becoming a peacemaker, the whole point is to help people discover faith in Jesus and not run away from it. So I want you to think about, be honest, where do you, how do you tend to deal with conflict? Are you a peacekeeper and you try to avoid it or are you a troublemaker and you go looking for it just so you can win a fight? And look, let's be honest, none of us get this right all the time, okay? I live in both of these camps, depending on the day. But Jesus is calling us not to be over here as a peacekeeper and not to live over here as a troublemaker, but to be in the middle, to be a peacemaker. And that requires us to be proactive with how we identify and address conflict with ourselves and with others so that we can pursue the hard work of making peace for all parties involved. So think of it like this. Peacekeepers approach peace passively. Troublemakers approach conflict forcefully, but peacemakers learn to address conflict proactively. They're proactive about it. And learning to be a peacemaker proactively means you gotta be honest about issues. You have to admit when there's a problem and learn how to address your own mistakes and help people address theirs too. Peacemakers don't pretend that everything's good when it's not, but they're willing to lean into the tension in order to find a good solution. And learning to be proactive as a peacemaker means you gotta be willing to risk the pain. Because anytime you seek to bring peace to a situation, you are risking personal misunderstanding and failure. So that means you gotta apologize when you're wrong, but you also have to be willing to rebuke a brother or sister in Christ who is out of line. And you gotta do it with the grace of Jesus. Peacemakers are willing to risk pain in order to make things right when there's a temptation to let just things just slide by. And being pe- proactive as a peacemaker means that you have to seek unity where you see division. You have to fight for justice where there's injustice. You have to bring calm to places that are chaotic and love 
in places where there's hate. Being a peacemaker may require us to take a stand when everyone else runs away and seeking to understand when people don't see things our way. Now, can we be honest? That sounds like some hard and potentially dangerous work, doesn't it? And it is. And Jesus knew that, but he also knew that it was worth it, especially in this politically charged world and this election season that we find ourselves in right now. Now on that note, this might come as a shocker to some of you, but I think it's good for us to remember, Jesus isn't a Republican and he's not a Democrat or a socialist. Scripture teaches us that he is the promised Messiah of God, the anointed one, the savior of the world and the prince of peace, which means that he transcends any and all political tags that we would put on him or political boxes we would try to shove him into. He's not a conservative, he is not a liberal, and he is not a progressive. And his church doesn't exist to elect or defeat parties or politicians, but instead to bring him glory and to make his kingdom of perfect peace a reality right now in the midst of all of our chaos. Jesus was and still is the greatest peacemaker that has ever walked on the earth. And he wants his church to be a collection of people that is radically diverse, but works in their diversity to find unity in him that outweighs any differences that we might have. Now, that might sound too good to be true, or maybe you're wondering, where, how do you even do that? Well, Jesus actually gave us a really good example when he picked his original 12 followers. These guys, not only did they not have anything in common, there's a good chance they wouldn't have liked each other at all because some of them were known to be militant nationalists. They were called zealots. And a zealot would go into a crowd of people and take out a dagger and stab anyone that was sympathetic to the Roman empire. So there were some of those. While others had a past of being greedy tax collectors and everyone would have hated them for taking their money. A few of them were peasant fishermen that lived paycheck to paycheck. And one of them, at least one of them, was a wealthy nobleman who was known for having, his tie, having ties with a rigid group of fundamentalists that no one liked. Now in his book, Love Over Fear, author Dan White describes Jesus's first 12 followers this way. Just listen to this. It was a scandalous group of men. It would be like organizing a home church with a Black Lives, Matters, Black Lives Matter protester, a few blue collar workers who believe Donald Trump will fix the country, a couple on public assistance that work at McDonald's, a wealthy Republican who owns an oil refinery down South and a member of Antifa. Now, is anybody not offended yet? I mean, can you imagine being part of a church or a group like that? How would that even work? Well, whether we're comfortable with it or not, that might be a really accurate picture of what those original followers of Jesus look like. And then I love how White closes with this phrase. He says, it's an understatement to say that these men would have all hated being in the same room with one another. And had it not been for Jesus, they would have all naturally slid into the cultural ditch of mutual hatred for one another. And yet Jesus, the greatest peacemaker ever, called all of them together. And time and time again, he showed them and he instructed them and he taught them how to learn how to lay their personal bias down, their own agendas down in order to get behind God's agenda 
of shalom for everyone everywhere. And I'm gonna guess they had to hit the restart button a time or two, but you know what? Apparently it worked because Jesus used that same collection of enemies to turn the world upside down when he launched the church in the first century. Jesus helped them all see that being a peacemaker, of course, it was risky and it's gonna require a lot of hard work, but he also helped them see that it was worth it. So I want you to listen again to Matthew 5, 9, but this time I want you to listen to the blessing that comes from being a peacemaker. Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called children of God. Now, the blessing of learning to become a peacemaker results in us receiving a title that is greater than any title any of us could ever imagine. Child of the most high God. The word blessing here actually means divine joy and perfect satisfaction. So in other words, what Jesus is saying is learning to become a peacemaker comes with the divine joy of being called a child of God. So I want you to think about this for a moment from God's perspective as our parent. Have you ever met a parent that loves to know that their kids bicker all the time and not only with one another, but they start trouble with everyone else everywhere they go? I have never met a parent that, is, that wants their kids to be known that way. Parents are most pleased with their kids. Parents are blessed by their children when they see them maturing and learning how to care for and live in harmony with one another. And, and I just have to imagine if that's true for us as earthly parents, it's gotta be true for our heavenly father as well. So peacemaking comes with an amazing benefit and some really sweet rewards, but let's be honest, there's just no way to avoid it. It's really hard work. We cannot avoid this. But I want you to listen to what James, one of the writers of the New Testament, who also happens to be Jesus's little brother, listen to what he says about peacemakers. James 3.18 says this, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and will reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, I love this passage. This has really helped me because James gives us an analogy to think of. He says, peacemaking is a lot like gardening. You're gonna have to get your hands dirty. If you've ever planted a garden, you know that really the only way to do this is you, you find your plot of land and then you till it, right? You dig up the earth, you get out the rocks, you pull out all the weeds. And then with your hands, you plant the seeds in the ground. You're gonna get your hands dirty. And then you continue to pull the weeds and to work it. It's, it's hard work. You're gonna sweat. It's not gonna be easy. You're gonna get dirty. But the end result is a harvest. And James says, if you want to be a peacemaker for Jesus, you've got to be willing to get your hands dirty and it's going to be worth it. And so here's a question that I want you to think, uh, think about as we wrap up today. Where do you need to get your hands dirty? when it comes to being a peacemaker for Jesus? Where is the Holy Spirit calling you to go to make peace? Who are they? What are, what are their names? Have you been avoided, avoiding conflict with them or have you been imposing your version of peace on them? Are you being passive about it? Or are you being forceful? Imagine what God would wanna do through me and you if we could learn to get our hands dirty in real tangible ways in our own sphere of influence, but stepping out of that and helping other people that we might not know otherwise. How would God want to use us to be a peacemaker in this next month leading up to this election and beyond where he would wanna use us to bridge a gap of hate and hurt with people that don't look like us, that don't think like us, 
Imagine the work he could do in all of us because here's the thing. A peacemaker is someone who makes and brings God's idea of perfect peace with them wherever they go. There's no telling what the Holy Spirit could do through us. Now there's one caveat about being a peacemaker that you probably need to know about. You really can't be a peacemaker until you yourself are at peace with God. And this is why Jesus came in the first place. When sin entered the world, our relationship with God was broken. It was damaged. We are not at peace with him. But when Jesus died on the cross, he died to pay for every sin I would commit, every sin you would commit, every sin that would ever be committed so that anyone that would put their trust and faith in him would be forgiven, would be made right in a relationship with their heavenly father, would be, would be empowered by the Holy Spirit to begin to live a new life at peace with God and to make peace with man. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've been baptized into him, well, that's fantastic. We are all part of the same family. Now it's time for us to make peace and point people to Jesus. But if you know you're not at peace with God right now, my question for you is, what are you waiting for? You're living life dangerously. If you're willing to surrender to Jesus, if you're willing to admit your sinfulness and to repent and turn to God, he wants to give you the gift of everlasting life in heaven, but he also wants to use you here and now to be a peacemaker. So are you willing to make peace with God right now through faith in Jesus? Let's pray. Jesus, would you help us to live this out? On paper, it looks easy. In reality, it's very hard. It takes a lot of hard work and effort. It, 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 it forces us to go to places that we don't wanna go, to be around people that are different than us. It forces us to be around people that we know might hate us, might even reject us. But would you help us to embrace this blessing of being a peacemaker, to bring the concept and the idea and the reality of shalom with us everywhere we go. I pray for any of my friends that are listening right now that, have, that don't have peace with you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to them, that you would draw them into a relationship with Jesus. And together as a church family, better yet, together as your church united around the world, we would become very serious about making peace in a world of chaos. We love you, Jesus. We need your help, Holy Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen.